Well, we're all familiar with the terrible twos, that stage that kids go through when they realize that they can be independent, that they can call the shots, that the world revolves around them. Now, these little guys and gals uh, make sure that everybody knows that the world revolves around them. And if things don't go their way, uh, they end up looking like this little guy here. Yeah, they are not happy. They're not happy because their needs are not being met. Uh, their way is not being fulfilled. In fact, uh, one mom had this sign up in her home, warning, I have a two-year-old and no longer can be held responsible for my actions. How many have two or three-year-olds out there? All right, well, there'll be overseer prayer afterwards, and uh, you can get some encouragement in that way. Yeah, it pushes parents to the brink. Now, thankfully, kids mature over time, and they realize there are other people out there, other people they should be concerned about, and uh, that, that, that's good. But what I found, even in my own life, uh, is that uh, we don't grow out of selfishness, do we? And what we do over time is we mask our selfishness and we keep our selfishness as hidden as possible. And even sometimes when we're trying to help other people, or we seem like we're trying to help other people, we're really trying to serve ourselves. The problem is that we're sinners. The problem is that we're selfish. And we need Jesus Christ to transform us and to change us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how you can move from being selfish to being selfless. From being selfish to being selfless. Because that's where the joy comes from. That's what our series is. Get the joy. We're talking about the book of Philippians. That's a theme. How can we get joy into our lives? Well, the world tells us if you're going to get joy in your lives, earthly joy, you're going to serve yourself. You're going to do everything you can to make yourself happy. Everything you do is going to be about me. But we all know that when we make our lives all about me, we become miserable. We become discouraged. We become depressed. We become frustrated. Because that's not the way God designed us. I was talking with a woman after our last service, and she was saying, yeah, years ago, I was having pity parties all the time. I was feeling sorry for myself, and I heard a pastor give a message similar to yours, and I said, Lord, I repent, because it's all been about me, and I'm going to start focusing on other people. And she said, as soon as I did that, my whole orientation, my whole way of viewing life changed. That's what God says when you make Jesus Christ the center of your life, when you take on His heart and His mind, you want to serve others. And that's what brings the joy. So we, we need to move away from selfishness to selflessness. This past year we've been encouraging you to take the first ten, the first ten minutes of your day, the first ten you can grab, and spend that time with God. Spend a time in reading God's Word and in prayer. And we've recommended a couple different things. First of all, the one-year Bible online. It's emailed to you. You can read the Bible through in one year. 
And if you've been doing that, great. If you haven't, you can start right now. From October to October, you can read uh, through the Bible. It's interesting, as I read through this past week's passages, we were looking through the book of Philippians, studying through the book of Philippians. And we read the passage we're going to be studying today. And another thing we encourage you with was the Daily Bread, which is a devotional, again, that also can be emailed to you. And they reference the same passage, uh, saying, wow, the Lord is really trying to speak to me here. So uh, we encourage you uh, to sign up for those things. Those are part of your message notes. Uh, if you don't have something that you're already using in your time uh, with the Lord. And we encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday mornings as we study the book of Philippians. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We want to look at the rationale for joyful selflessness. The rationale for joyful selflessness. We want to be selfless, and that's going to bring joy in our lives. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So he's asking a series of questions to the people at Philippi. He's saying, now, answer this question for me. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, answer that question. Have you had any encouragement in the last couple of weeks from being united with Christ? I know I have. In fact, just this past Wednesday, I believe it was, I was trying to figure out a particular issue, and I know I needed to make this particular decision, but I didn't have enough information. So I was going through my mail, and I opened up the mail, and right there in this piece of mail was the answer that I needed to do what I needed to do. And it was a God thing. I mean, it was like, God, I didn't expect this kind of timing. But I was encouraged. I was encouraged in the work that I was doing for the Lord. Has God done that? Lately? Has He answered a prayer request? Has He given you wisdom? Has He empowered you in some way? Well, then you need to answer that question. Yes, He has been an encouragement to me. The fact that I'm a Christ follower and that He is taking care of me. If any comfort from His love. Have you been discouraged this past week? Has it been a difficult week because of a relationship? Because of your physical or emotional health and you just kind of dragged yourself in here today. Yeah, we have weeks like that. But, but the beautiful thing that even in the midst of our pain, we can receive comfort from God, knowing that He is our Father, knowing that He loves us, knowing that He's there to empower us, even when we don't feel that great. He is going to restore that joy in our heart. Have you received that comfort? That's what Paul's saying. Have you been comforted? I'd say yes. If any, fellowship with the Spirit. Fellowship is that idea of partnership with another believer. Now, fellowship is not getting together with another believer and talking about how the Bears won on Sunday night football. Or Monday night football, that is. That's not fellowship. I want to be very clear about that. Fellowship is not getting together with another believer and talking about how the Bears beat the Packers. A Monday Night Football. That is not fellowship. Okay? Are you clear on that? Fellowship is not getting together with another believer and talking about how the Bears are 3-0. and Only three teams, the Steelers, the Chiefs, and the Bears. Yeah. 
But that's not fellowship, okay? I just, I want to be very, very clear with this. Okay, that's just two guys talking about football. All right? <laughs> fellowship is when you get together and you talk about your relationship with Jesus. When you pray for each other, when you encourage each other, when you challenge each other. Fellowship is when you serve together. Fellowship is like a meeting we had this past week, Dick Schmidt. And uh, Pastor Rich and myself, we got together and talked about this new ministry that we're launching for men. And we're really excited about it. we got a breakfast coming up on October 16th, and we want to see all you guys there. 7 o'clock, we're going to be learning about how to impact our kids for Christ. Lori Fowler, who knows a lot about that, is going to be speaking. And then we're going to go paintballing in November and other events and other breakfasts and small groups. And Now, that's fellowship. Talking about ministry, serving together, that is fellowship. So you ask, ask yourself the question, have I experienced any joy from fellowship, of talking and, and being in relationship and, and serving together with other Christians? Well, I'd have to say yes. If any tenderness and compassion, when you start to walk with Jesus Christ, what He does is He tenderizes your heart. The more you walk with Him, the more you have His mind and, and His heart, the more He lives through you, the more you love people, the more you want to connect with people, the more you have a heart to see them come to the Lord and grow in that relationship. Has your heart been softened recently toward another person? I'd say yes, it has with me. So I'd say yes to all these questions. Encouragement, yes. Comfort, yes. Fellowship, yes. Tenderness, yes. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 2, Then make my joy complete. Now he started the church in Philippi. He was writing ten years later. He says, let's bring it full circle. You made my joy initially when we started that work together. We'll make it complete by being like-minded. That doesn't mean we all think the same, but it does mean that we have the mind of Christ. Having the same love, a love for one another. We're known by our love, Jesus Christ says, those of us who are Christ followers. Being one in spirit and purpose. What's our, our spirit and purpose? To know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to tell other people about Him, to to build passionate followers of Jesus Christ, right? So, so what is Paul saying here? What's the rationale for being selfless instead of being selfish? Well, the rationale is if you've tasted that the Lord is good, then why don't you embrace Him even more? It's like when you have a great dinner at home. Somebody makes a wonderful dinner and you fill your plate up and you experience all these wonderful tastes, and then you have to go back for seconds because you have some room left, and you go back for seconds, and what are you going to choose? You're going to choose the thing that tasted the best, that got your taste buds going, right? That's what you're going to choose. Well, friends, if you've tasted how good Jesus is, why don't you taste Him some more? Why don't you make Him more the center of your life? Why don't you, again, let Him take over your life? That's what... Paul is saying, if God has been good to you, if God is delivered in your life, well, continue to do what He says because He'll continue to deliver, as we see in our next point. What we see here is the command of joyful selflessness. How, how, how do we be selfless? What do we need to do? Well, we see this in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit. Now, this is our problem. We're fundamentally selfish people. And probably at the core of the majority of the problems you have with other people is selfishness. Either you're being selfish or they're being selfish or it's a combination usually of both of you being selfish and not being able to get on the same page. So he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is, is what's going on internally. It's that desire that you have to get what you want, to accomplish your purposes, to design life in the way that you would like to see it laid out and fulfilled. That's what selfish ambition. It's all about you because you think if you approach life in that way, it's going to bring you joy, which of course it's not. Selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's the external form of selfish ambition where you want other people to know how wonderful you are and how you're better than they are. Okay? Yeah, yeah, I got my life together. These are the people who talk about themselves all the time. They talk about how wonderful they are. They talk about the experiences they've had. and They talk about the people that they've met. And But there's other people who are more quiet, who do it more subtle ways, maybe in the clothes that they wear or car they drive, whatever, you know. There's nothing wrong with those things like the car you drive, but it's a motive in which you, why you drive that particular car. Is it to impress other people? Is it to say to other people, you know, hey, I'm cool, okay, I've got my life together, that kind of thing? Well, many times we fall into these traps. We all fall into these traps. Here's a person who kind of typifies this in our culture. Yeah, Paris Hilton, Right? A person who made a career out of nothing. <laughs> right? Really, what has she done but just showed up? And she's done a very good job of that. But when you think about Paris, you think about selfish ambition, you think about vain conceit. And it's easy to look at celebrities like this and be real critical of them. But, man, we have to look back at ourselves because we all have a little bit of Paris in us <laughs> or maybe a lot of it. Okay, Maybe we keep it better hidden. But when we look at our hearts, our hearts are deceitful. And our hearts are always looking to promote ourselves and to promote our agenda. What does Paul say? He says, But in humility consider others better than yourselves. But in humility. What is humility? Humility is seeing yourself the way that God sees you. It's not... Self-deprecation, oh, I'm not worthy, no one should care about me, I'm worse than anybody else. That, that's not humility, that's what a lot of people think it is. But really, it's just viewing yourself as God sees you. You know, you're a child of God, and you've got strengths, and you've got weaknesses, and uh, it's not having a high opinion of yourself. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Is that the way you operate? You go around thinking, hey, that person's better than me, that person's better than me, that person's better than me, so I'm going to serve them and I'm going to take care of them because they are high priority. Is that how you operate? Well, turn to the person next to you right now and just say, you're better than me. Okay, just do that. You're better than me. Okay. <laughs> now, if you're a married couple, you're going to have to say that again because <laughs> they didn't believe you the first time, nor are they going to believe you the second time. All right? You're going to have to continue 
not to say that to them, but you're going to have to show it to them. That they are more important in life than you are. And you're going to put them up on a, a pedestal in a sense, and in the best sense of the word, and saying, I'm going to serve you because I value you. I value you. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. These are very, very powerful commands. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, we have no problem looking at our own interests. And it says we, we, we should look at our own interests. We need to take care of our own affairs. Uh, like our finances, right? We, we need to manage our finances. That's why financial peace that was talked about earlier is so important for people who are struggling with their finances or doing okay or uh, are doing really well. I mean, we would encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Stop by the table. Get the information. It's wonderful curriculum. It's wonderful teaching on video by Dave Ramsey. And it will help you to take care of your interests. God says, hey, you need to take care of your interests, but in the midst of taking care of your interests, you need to care for other people as well. And let's say when you became a Christian, 90% of the time you thought about yourself. And 10% of the time you thought about other people. Well, a year or two went by, and 15% of the time you thought about other people. Five years went by, 20% of the time you thought about other people, 80% yourself. You see, the idea is, is that the more you walk with Jesus, the more you have a heart for other people. The more you put them first in your life. Let's put that verse back up again. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So how have you been doing in that area? Who have you been thinking about this past week? Who have you been trying to serve other than yourself? Who have you been trying to love other than yourself? Now, as we look at this passage, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's impossible. I don't know about you, but I can't make it through a morning without doing that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sinful. And sometimes it's subconscious. I don't even realize I'm being selfish, but I just am. So how are we going to make this happen? Well, we're not going to make it happen here on earth. Do nothing, but that should be our goal, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ loving through us. That's the only way it can happen. So we go back to last week. You make Jesus Christ the center of your life and the circumstances that come into your life. They challenge you, but if you turn to Christ, you grow deeper in that relationship. And He is the one who will enable you to become selfless. You can't do it on your own. Don't try it on your own. It's very dangerous because you're going to get discouraged. You've got the trust in Christ to make this happen. Well, let's look at the model of joyful selflessness. We've got to have an example, right? And the obvious example is Jesus Christ, the model of joyful selflessness. What did Jesus Christ do that we can emulate in our own lives? Well, first of all, we need to release. We need to release our rights. Philippians 2.5. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. There's our model, right? 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. Other translations say, made Himself empty. The word in the original language is kenosis. This is called the kenosis passage, the emptying of Jesus Christ. This is a very, very important passage in Scripture. It's one of the most succinct descriptions of what Jesus Christ did for us by coming to this earth and giving His life on the cross and His glorification. Very important passage to study. He made Himself nothing. He emptied Himself. But notice what it says first. Who being in very nature God. Some people think that when He emptied Himself, He emptied Himself of His divinity. But no, the Bible doesn't teach that. He was 100% God, 100% man. The theanthropic man, we know that. So He didn't empty Himself of His divinity. He emptied Himself of other things. But notice His attitude in doing this. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, He could have stayed up in heaven. He could have said, no, I don't want to lose all the privileges that I have here. But He didn't view that as something to be held on to. He released it and said, I'm willing to release myself. I'm, I'm willing to limit myself. I'm willing to empty myself in certain areas in order that I might serve and love other people. How did he empty himself? Well, there are many different ways. I'll just mention a couple of them. First of all, he emptied himself of the glory that he had in heaven. The glory he had in heaven. Here he was. He's seraphim flying around him 24 hours a day. Holy, 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 holy. And he had all the angels singing his praises. He had people who were there who had lived on earth and had faith in God and and they were adoring Him. And He chose to give that all up. He chose. God didn't force Him. He chose to give that all up uh, for our behalf in order that we might have a relationship with God. And, and we'll never be able to fully fathom that. Jesus Christ going from glory in heaven to coming to earth. Maybe one analogy that just gives us a glimpse is if for some reason our president, President Barack Obama, gave up the White House. Now, it's impossible to imagine because I mean he's got all kinds of people who are serving him day and night. Hundreds, thousands of people who serve the president. And just imagine if he decided to go live in a slum in a shanty house with no one to help him in any way. That just doesn't compute with us. Well, what, what's that about? I mean, why would he do that, you know? Well, it doesn't compute that Jesus Christ would give up heaven to come to earth. Can you imagine what the angels thought when they first heard about this? What is he thinking? Has he lost his mind to go to earth? We all know about earth. We all know about the sin. We all know about it. what a filthy place it is. Why would Jesus want to go there? And there's only one reason. is because Jesus loved you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. That's why He came. That's why He gave it all up. All that He had in heaven. Another thing He gave up was His independence as a deity. As Christ Himself. God Himself. We read this in 
Mark 5.30, by, by myself, Jesus says, I can do nothing. Now, what's that about? Well, it's because he was submitting himself to the Father's will. When he was here on earth, he was only doing the Father's will. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him, that is the Father who sent me. He says, God, whatever you want me to do, God the Father, whatever you want me to do. So he emptied himself in some ways of his independence. He emptied himself. He released his rights. That's hard for us to do something sometimes, isn't it? To release our rights. You know, when we think about our relationships, we think about our relationship with our spouse, you know, I deserve to be treated a certain way by my spouse. I deserve to be treated a certain way by my children. I deserve to be treated in a certain way by my employer. And we get all bent out of shape when they don't treat us in that way. Because we have rights. we got the Bill of Rights for Pete's sake. <laughs> you know, I say, we are all about rights. And Jesus Christ says, you know, rights aren't all they're cracked up to be. Now certainly, if somebody is not treating you properly, uh, you need to address it in certain situations. But I tell you what, a lot of the time we just need to let it go, okay? We, we're just grasping and saying, no, I've got to have that. I, I've got to have that person have this attitude toward me. And we're grasping onto what we think we deserve. But if we're really going to become selfless, we need to let go and say, yeah, it'd be nice if that happened. It'd be nice if that person responded to me in that way, but... It didn't happen, and really, what's the big deal? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about other people. What are you hanging on to right now? What are you saying? It's my right, and I'm not being served. Let it go. Let it go. Think of what Jesus let go. Let it go. Another area that Jesus modeled for us. He released His rights, but also He served. Philippians 2.7 But made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He became one of us. And that again is something that just blows your mind. When we talked about the scene in heaven, and then He became a baby. I don't know about you, but I'd say, listen, why don't you just bring me down as an adult? Okay, I'll just kind of you know, come out of the desert and say hello to people. <laughs> Do I really have to become a baby? Do I really have to go through all that body training and all that kind of stuff? I mean, really, come on. <laughs> no terrible twos for Jesus, though, okay? He was sinless. <laughs> he was tempted to be a terrible twos, whatever. But, uh, yeah, a baby. Think of the limits that a baby has. He put those limitations on himself. He didn't grasp. Well, if I'm coming down, I, I got these, you know, I got this list of expectations I have of how I'm going to enter on earth. Now he just submitted to the Father. He came as a baby. He matured. Very precocious child, no doubt. <laughs> uh, and he matured and he served and he lived a righteous life and he gave his life for us. It's one of the most comforting things to know that our Savior has lived this life. Sure, He's glorified in heaven right now. 
can sit at the right hand of the Father. He's mediating for us. But He was down here. He went through what we went through. Did you have a fatiguing day this past week where you were just so tired? Well, Jesus Christ has been through that. He got tired, right? We see that in Scripture. He got hungry. You're hungry right now? Don't think about it. All right? He got hungry. He got frustrated. Life is frustrating, isn't it? It's so frustrating. I mean, you lay everything out and things just don't go the way they're supposed to. Well, Jesus Christ, He experienced that. Jesus Christ experienced physical pain. I know some of you are really hurting right now. Physical pain, emotional pain. He's been there. Jesus Christ had to deal with sinful people. Now, it's one thing for me to deal with sinful people because I'm a sinner. So they have to deal with me as well. But Jesus Christ wasn't a sinner. So he had to deal with sinful people. You know, abusing him, gossiping about him, criticizing him. He did that all for us. He became a servant. We read in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. That was the characterization of His life, that He was a servant. And if we're going to take on the mind and heart of Christ, we are to be a servant to other people. We're to become other-oriented. And that's where the joy comes from. Not by being selfish, but by being selfless. The, the best place to practice this is in the home. Is to be a servant in the home. To go home this week and say, okay, I am going to be a servant. I'm going to look at the other members of my family, or if you don't have a family, friends, whoever you come in contact with, and I'm going to serve them. You think about your kids, how you serve your kids, doing homework with them, helping them with all kinds of projects and you know, helping guide their life. It's all service. Or you think about doing things for your family that aren't expected. Now, we have all things that we're expected to do, but try doing something they don't expect, like saying to one of your family members, I'm going to do all the chores for you this week. Okay? You don't have to do any chores. Any, anything that you normally do, I'm going to do. Do that. That was surprising, right? Uh, Lori sometimes will ask, uh, in fact, she even asked this past week, you know, uh, who can go to the store for me? Now, there's three drivers in our home, myself and my two oldest sons, and we always fight over it. Oh, I want to go, honey. I want to go. Please let me go this time. And then my son comes in and says, No, you went last time. I'm going to the store this time. We get this big fight. You know, who's going to go to the store for mom? Right? No. Everybody kind of, you know, hides. <laughs> and I have to be honest with you. She asked me to go, and I said, No, I'm not going. I'm not going. I got an agenda here. I got things going on. Then you get the argument who's busiest, right? You know? I sinned, right? I should have went to the store for her. Hey, I'm full of selfish ambition, right? <laughs> yeah. I flunked. So now I got to do it this week. She's going to use me. She wants me to go to Schaumburg or something. I don't know. But you see, that's just the way we are, you know? And so if somebody asks you to do something in your family, put your agenda aside. And your ambition and your plans and say, okay, I'm going to do 
what you want me to do because I want to serve you and I want to love you. And if, if you're really brave, you say, you can watch whatever you want and watch on TV. <laughs> the TV is yours tonight. Okay, I'm putting it aside. <laughs> There's a lot of ways we can serve our families, and it's a great way to exercise what Jesus Christ is talking about. The third thing is sacrifice, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We've talked about this, his sacrifice that he made. And why did he make the sacrifice? Because we were sinners, we were selfish. God can't have a relationship with a selfish person. And the penalty of selfishness is an eternity separated from God. So that's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world in order that He might pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. We see it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him no sin. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. How can we be righteous? Because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. He took our place. All the sins of the world were laid upon Him. And the most painful point, as I've said many times before, is when Jesus Christ could no longer be in fellowship with God because God turned His back. He couldn't look on Jesus Christ because of the sin that was upon Him. And Jesus Christ cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? That is what Jesus gave up. That fellowship with God that He'd experienced from eternity past out of love for you. That's what He sacrificed. And my question for you today is, what are you sacrificing for God? What am I sacrificing for God? What can you say to yourself in this area? I am really sacrificing my agenda. I'm giving my time. I'm giving my money. I'm giving my energy. More than anything else, I'm sacrificing. How about in the area of your relationship with Jesus? He did all that for you. Are you sacrificing in making time for Him? And making time in that 10, 20, 30 minutes a day you spend with Him. Making time with Him. Making sure that you're with us every weekend. Worshiping the Lord. Making time for small groups. Are you sacrificing in that way to get to know the God who loves you so much? Are you sacrificing and serving other people? We talked about Awana earlier. We're having to turn kids away from our boys' group because we do not have enough men leaders. Well, men, do you want to sacrifice for God? Do you want to show God that you're serious? You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just need to be willing to hang out with kids and love them. That would be any areas of our ministry. But one example, we need men leaders in Awana. Are you willing to sacrifice? Stop by the Iwana table. Get more information. Are you willing to sacrifice with your finances? We talked about financial peace. Are you sacrificing with what you give to God? Or is it just pocket change? What you have left over? After all He did for you. Are you tithing? Are you giving to God? Are you even close to a tithe? Right? We need to sacrifice for the Lord. To show our love to Him. And it's only through the power of Christ that we can do this. And you say, Lord, I want to sacrifice, but I don't know how. I'm not very good at sacrificing. Fill me with Your Spirit in order that I might be able to sacrifice and show my love to You. Finally, we see the reward. The reward in Philippians 2, 9-11. through 11. 
The great thing about <laughs> the great thing about being a servant, the great thing about being selfless is you get rewarded for it. Now, God doesn't have to reward us for anything, but He's always doing that. He's saying, if you obey me, I'll reward you. He doesn't have to do that, but it's always a bonus. He rewarded Christ. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He gave Jesus Christ a new name for what Jesus Christ did for us, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is ruler of the universe. Jesus Christ is everything. And every knee should bow. Someday every knee will bow in heaven. All the angels, all the angelic beings, all the saints, all the people who are still here on earth when it happens, all the people who are in hell are going to bow. It doesn't matter if they want to bow or not, they're going to bow. They're going to be forced to bow. And, of course, our desire is to let people know how they can come into relationship with Christ so they'll want to bow and they'll be able to spend eternity with God. We'll receive a reward as well. We move on and see in James 4.10 it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord. That's what this whole passage has been about. Humble yourselves and He will lift you up. Isn't that great? All, all we need to do is humble ourselves. He doesn't have to lift us up, but He's going to do that for us. If we become selfless, He's going to fill us with joy as we see in Hebrews 12, to let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy, the joy, the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross. It wasn't something that He looked forward to. It wasn't something that He enjoyed in any sense of the word, obviously. He endured it in order for the joy of knowing that we could have a relationship with God and we serve other people. And joy is going to come because that's the way God designed us to be other-centered, to move from selfishness to selflessness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I am so selfish. I am so sinful. We all are selfish and sinful, Lord. Convict us. Show us where we're selfish and sinful and empower us in order to be able to be like You. Help us to experience the joy of serving others. In Christ's name, amen. We've got our ushers come forward at this time. We have a picture of our basketball crew on Monday nights at 8 o'clock. We have a basketball ministry. Come on out if you'd like to play. Uh, basketball, and, and you make it possible by your giving, your generous giving to the Lord here uh, to keep this building open, to keep it heated and cooled in order to have guys come out. Christ followers, those who are kind of checking out Christ. Obviously, you know, it's a lot easier sometimes to invite a guy to a basketball game than a church service <laughs> to experience the love of other believers. So uh, thank you for your giving. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for ministries like we have here with our basketball night. And uh, I pray we continue to think of new ways to invite people out to experience other Christ followers and the love that they have for others. In Christ's name, amen. Hey
exalted, Jesus, forever be glorified. 